In this episode, Adam plays games by himself. Sage has to explain things. And our 31st question, what are some good domain management games? Yeah, so I'm excited to do this topic, especially because it's a topic I had to explain to you, uh, <laughs> which is, is not typically where we start on these things. Um, this is actually a suggestion from my friend Dan that came in a long time ago and that he just reminded me of. Um, so yeah, I guess we should talk about what uh, Dan meant in this question by a domain management game. Yes, um, because I have a big long list of things that are potentially breaking the rules, and I want to see how far I can push it. I actually did a lot of rule breaking as well. Uh, so, okay, the, the the prototypical idea here is something like the D and D birthright setting, uh, mm-hmm. where you're not just an adventurer off doing your own thing. You're running a, a kingdom or a duchy or a guild or or whatever. Um, it's it's the large scale game. Um, and for me, and a lot of my uh, choices for today, it crosses over with like Game of Thrones a little bit, uh, or that kind of like genre fiction, where it's about um, political intrigue, as well as action and, and battles and all that. Awesome. Oh, good. I've got a couple good ones then. <laughs> Sweet. You want to start with your first one? Uh, sure, because my first one is um, kind of obvious, I think, actually. Uh, so I want to throw D&D out there as a great domain management game, especially in the diversity of ways that it's tackled it. Sure. Uh, so like starting with relatively early D&D, there would be uh, level-up abilities that said things like, you get a keep and men-at-arms. Um, and the wonderful thing there was that it didn't really tell you much about what that meant, uh, which was kind of like a bug and a feature. Uh, Mm -hmm. It it was a bug in the sense of like, if you go back to it without a good set of um, like base assumptions to work from, it kind of makes no sense. It's this like, oh, we've been raiding dungeons for money and now I'm going to run a keep. Uh, Like it's this big jump in kind of scope for the game. Um, but I think that's also kind of a, a feature if you come to it with some conceptions of uh, what D&D is and where it's evolved from. Um, like the the history of D&D evolving out of war games uh, means that there's a bit more of an openness to like, oh, and then you get together a huge band of uh, peasants and go attack something. Like that's, that's more supported than it would be in some later editions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of this interesting gap in, in what the game does at that point. Uh, and this is kind of traced a line through pretty much every edition of D&D has embraced this to varying degrees. Um, I mentioned earlier the birthright setting where uh, it is kind of the core conceit of the setting that you're playing uh, like noble characters with uh, countries at your disposal more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think it's an interesting place to, to take that genre and it, the tricky thing with domain management is always that uh, you don't want it to become too much of a, a micromanagement thing where the GM has to tell you how many gold coins it takes to like provision your larder or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, because games like uh, tabletop games aren't great at that level of detail. Like it's kind of a pain to track all that stuff when somebody has to make it up and another person has to say, oh yeah, sure. And you have to scribble it down on a piece of paper. It it works much better in a video game where you can just tell a computer to do a whole bunch of math. Um, 
So I kind of like it for being a little funky, for being a little weird, and uh, for the historical precedent of introducing this idea in to start out with just like some upper level AD and D abilities, uh, that say, Oh, you get a, a keep or a tower or, or retainers or whatever. So have you played the, uh, Pathfinder Kingmaker campaign thing? I have not. I'm, a, I'm aware of it in the same genre. There, there's been a number of, uh, <coughs> excuse me, of supplements along those lines, um, for various editions of D and D. Um, and I, I think they kind of hit with, varying degrees of success. Uh, I think the nice thing about the way that AD&D tackled it is that um, the ability in AD&D just flat out says, like, you have this, mm-hmm. and it doesn't go into a whole lot of detail on it. Um, and one of the sticking points that I often have with with D20 and, and Pathfinder is that um, the kind of mechanical design of the system is so um, kind of orderly and, and sensible that it tends to have a hard time uh, special casing things that, that should be special cased. Um, it, it tends to be a system that doesn't deal quite as well with the jump from counting individual gold pieces to to managing the finances of a kingdom. Um, and it doesn't jump so well from one person to 20 people um, kind of scope of, of action. Um, and so it, I always feel like these are a little funky, but I haven't played Kingmaker. Like, I... It, it could be way better than I would expect, but I always have a hard time uh, with kind of that linear scaling in D20 and, and scoping that up to a larger scope. So the Kingmaker campaign I ran was a, a while ago, so I'm, I might be misremembering things. But they basically built they built an entirely new minigame kind mm-hmm. of on top of Pathfinder. So you would be doing your kind of general management game which was its own thing. Uh, And then as parts of that, you would be like, oh yeah. And so to make sure that this will work, we're going to go out and do this mission or to make sure that this is going to happen. We need to go Mm -hmm. talk to these people or whatever, Uh, which ended up being a really interesting game for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. It was, it was overlaid in the hex map. So like a lot of the problems that you're talking about, you know, problems and huge quotation marks, a lot of the things about Pathfinder where, everything has a rule, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That was where it fell apart for me was, okay, everything's on this hex map. There's one point of interest per hex. We know how mm-hmm. far, how long it takes to get across the hex. And, you know, we're, we're just going to uh, kind of civ, civilization it and explore hexes outwards until we get all the resources we need and, you know, this kind of thing and, and treat it like, this optimization puzzle. Um, and as I think you just mentioned, that does not work very well unless you have a computer managing it. Because uh, yeah. optimization yeah. puzzle is just not that much fun with pen and paper. They did some smart things there with with not just doing the, the most basic linear scaling, but it, it has kind of that same ethos of design of like, it, we're going to make everything... Uh, behave in in pretty much the same way and we're going to give you like the the straightforward clarity of pathfinder which i think is often a huge benefit of it like it's an easy game to grok and it everything is orderly and once you've played it a little bit you can pretty much guess at everything the rest of it uh but that can make situations like that where something should feel substantially different not quite as engaging um and and actually that that comes up in both of my others that uh while i I appreciate the D20 approach. Um, I really like games that, that 
make that kind of thing feel different, sure. uh, that, that don't try <laughs> to just keep on scaling up the same systems that they used for, for going into a dark place and coming out with treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I shouldn't be too down on, on Kingmaker because I, I know a lot of people have had a great time with it and I'm, you know, I, I haven't made anything that, that huge in scope and I've got that many people playing. Uh, so I don't want to say that it's, I don't want to be negative about it. It's just not my favorite take on how to do it. Yeah. It was a good campaign. Um, and, and that, so that's, that's my first one I think is, is going to be Pathfinder Kingmaker cause it's nice, nice and standard. And the rest of these are going to be very non-standard. I think we both started from a, a point of standardness, uh, which is kind of cool. So, so tell me more about what stands out in uh, the the Kingmaker campaign for you. Sure. So the the thing that my group uh, that that particular D and D group always wanted to end up doing was they wanted to run the country. You know, we would we would mm-hmm. start. And they'd be going through a cave and they'd get a bunch of treasure and then they'd get out. And then immediately it would be, okay, where's the ruler? How can we take over? How can we, you know, make our our inroads into, you know, can we negotiate this into a duchy or maybe a protector mm-hmm. role or whatever? And so I said, you know, why don't we just play the game that is built to do that? And I hadn't heard of of D's one i'd only because we were we were running pathfinder at the time i'd only really heard of this kingmaker thing so mm-hmm. um and i mean third edition um there was a few there was like a stronghold book for for vanilla 3.0 yeah um and i, think I, have I don't think they ever did something more uh other than that like more domain management not just how to build a keep right um I'm sure there was a third party one though. There was third oh, party yeah. takes on pretty much everything. Um, actually, no. Come to think of it, I had at least one third party one. <laughs> uh, I, I think it was there was a whole series of D20 supplements that were just um, a noun, like mm-hmm. at, without any adornment or anything. Um, I forget what company that was, but they just did a whole bunch of them for kind of like every topic, and they were they were fine. Like they they mostly were okay, but it was a little just kind of mass produced, like. Uh, war and gods and you know etc they would just come out with these books and i think they had one that was uh maybe it was the war one kind of crossed over into that Mm -hmm. Um, but i can see how for pathfinder depending on where you started like yeah oh that might have been a kingdom i mean pretty much any noun you come up with really they had a book for (laughs) (laughs) so so it was interesting because we went from you know myself and and uh, the other major DM, Adam Ross, uh, mm-hmm. would try to improvise kind of domain management rules into 3.5, which was our major system. And, you know, our improvisations are pretty good, but we were like, you know, let's let's go see what, what they have built uh, and see, if, see how their rules compare to our rules. And the problem with going from an improvised system to a, you know, here's a big, huge rule book with a full campaign... And you know, you know me and pre-generated campaign uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. I hate, I hate pre-generated adventures, adventure books. And so, running through those, compared especially to the improvised one, it just you felt so hamstrung about. Oh well, yeah, it does seem like you should be able to do that, but uh, the book says you can't, and so you can't. Or yeah, mm-hmm. that would make sense, but uh, you just don't have that ability. And so, too bad for you. I'm sorry. Right? Yeah, it sounds like it was a bit more of a uh, 
it wasn't as much of a framework for handling it as it was a bunch of specific rules. Yeah, like um, which is yeah. the thing that I'm going to come back to in some some later games as well. Yeah, it was very much yeah. Okay, you do this, and that triggers this, and that levels up your domain, which allows you to do this. Like it, it felt very much like playing a computer game, which is mm-hmm. just not what I want to play paper, pen and paper role playing games for. I, I think that's a major point through the rest of mine that I want something that. Um, gets everybody on the same page and and leads mm-hmm. to interesting play more so than I want something that uh, covers a lot of detail and really, um, like, formalizes everything. Yeah, totally. Um, which I guess uh, I can move on to my second one. Do it. Because we overlapped a lot on our first. Yeah, totally. Uh, sure, sure. So, so my second is Apocalypse World. Uh which has the really interesting property of being a domain management game for one-ish players uh, and totally not one for the others. Just like the hard um, holder or whatever? Yeah, so so Apocalypse World, your character is based on a playbook, which has a lot of similarities to a class in another game. Behaves a little differently. Um, but one of those playbooks is explicitly about controlling a physical area, um, and a few of the others are uh, related to leading people um, in various ways, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a domain management thing. Um, but and, and through advancement, other classes can get into having a hard hold. Um, but that is actually one of my favorite setups for this uh, because as D&D has developed more into this expectation that everybody's going to be close to the same level and we're all going to kind of advance together, um, having those kinds of run a uh, domain thing, either you give everybody at level whatever the option of getting their own keep or wizard's tower or duchy mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, in which case now you're spending your entire game with everybody doing their own thing to manage their own holdings or everybody's managing one thing together, which then means that you're basically acting out a meeting part of the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like totally. everybody's sitting around and like point of order. I think we should have raised taxes, um, which can be an actual interesting thing. You, you had an idea for a uh, colony ship LARP oh, that yeah. would be uh, doing stuff like that. And I actually think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. It's just a little bit of tension with um, what your character is designed to do. Like, I think that's a great setup for like a parlor LARP. It's not such a great setup for rolling up strength, dexterity, wisdom, constitution, intelligence, and charisma. Yeah. I just um, need, I just need some dedicated playtest time for that, but. Uh, oh, don't we all. Oh man. One of these days, but yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, the idea of having one person being doing their little domain management game within this uh, kind of larger role-playing game is, is certainly really interesting. Yeah, and uh, I especially like – there's a few things about it that I think are, are especially cool in that it um, focuses that player on the intricacies of running their domain um, – and tends to hook everybody into it in various ways. Uh-huh. Uh, it also abstracts it at a really effective level, um, where basically your your hard hold, which is what your settlement or whatever is called, uh, like the that's the uh, category of things that you could control, um, 
it's either in kind of a neutral state where it's everything's more or less okay, or it's in need of some things, or it's in surplus of some things. And uh, which things you may be in need or surplus of depend on how you've created your hard hold and what's happened in play. So, you know, maybe your hard hold um, has a consistent food supply, so you, you can't really be in want of food. Um, or maybe you... Uh, do not have a great water supply. So being in want of water is a, a, an obvious thing that can happen. Right. And that, it, it puts much more of a, a um, kind of human aspect to what's going on um, in the sense that, you know, if, if you read a history book about uh, the fall of Rome or whatever, or, or the management of uh, the uh, of Venice or something, you know, I'm trying to think of, different scales of things that you could govern. Um, they don't tend to do an exact accounting of, you know, the coffers ran dry yeah, totally. uh, because they spent five coins here or whatever. Instead it's, you know, there was a famine this year and the coffers dried out. Um, and I find that really effective to communicating more quickly and saving a lot of time. It loses a little bit of detail because then, you know, there's not the, oh, I managed to find this cool accounting trick to find us the extra coin we needed to play our mercenaries or whatever. Um, but practically, it's just so much effect, more effective for creating the play experience that I want that I'm okay with losing a little bit of the, the detail in the name of getting straight to the things that I think of when I think of Game of Thrones or, or history or... Uh, even stuff like the, the black company. Um, so, and I really love that it's asymmetric because then when those once and needs happen, one player is kind of informed of it and they're likely to want to draw everybody else into it because all your characters are connected in some way. Right. And this is a problem that's going to affect everybody. And then, you know, you have your gun lugger who's going to go and kill somebody for their water. Uh, but that somebody is a friend of the, um, brainer or whatever. And it, it, creates more interesting play situations and is way easier to track. Totally. Yeah. I think, I think the entire kind of modern RPG or I mean, story style RPG of here's a bunch of tags and here's a bunch of just kind of descriptive forms of everything is just makes play a lot more easy. And I've never seen anybody pull out the, Oh, here's a cool accounting trick. Mm -hmm. Like, Cool accounting trick or just words that you don't hear together? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm sure somebody has. Well, uh, I mean, so nobody I've ever met. No, I, I agree. Like, we, you got to focus on the stuff that's interesting because uh, I think both you and I have become keenly aware of how much gaming time we have, and and I I would rather cut to a lot of good stuff, even if it means on missing out on a few organic cool things that could come out of it. Uh, I'd rather have more, a, a lot of good stuff in a compact time than a huge amount of time that occasionally lands a great thing. So, so as long as we're talking about cool accounting tricks though, I do want to, like I say, I've got a bunch of weird ones and a couple of them, uh, you talk about, uh, about, uh, the fall of Rome, that kind of stuff. There's a, mm -hmm. there's an old board game called Republic of Rome. Uh, uh -huh. I, do you know about this at all? I, I do not. I'm I'm listening in, in rapt attention. Anytime you bring up a board game, I don't know. I'm pretty excited. Oh, man. Ha lies all over the place. The Republic of Rome is a game from the 70s, 80s, about all of the players are uh, senators, families in Rome. 
and you mm-hmm. are kind of holding Rome alive. It's semi-co-op. Uh, you are certainly not friends, but uh, you don't want to see the, the, the country fall apart. Takes forever to play. Uh, hilarious. Lots of good good fun, but it takes forever. So there's a new game out called John Company about uh, the East India Company. And it's supposed mm-hmm. to do a Republic of Rome type thing. And I'm thinking about this from domain management. These two games are, here is this company or, or country or a domain that you need to manage, but you need to do it while enriching yourself more than everybody else, mm-hmm. uh, while giving yourself more power than everybody else, which is something that, that I don't see in RPGs very much. You know, board games do it all the time. Um, yeah, I, I like that competitive aspect. And I think the interesting um, place to go there is to <clears throat> to a legacy game. Uh, yeah. Because especially when you're talking about families trying to keep Rome alive, I'd love to actually do a generational thing of that, mm-hmm. where your family can really change over time. And, uh, you know, you're, you're marking off things on your sheet and catastrophes occur and you open a box and have some stickers to put on the board and everything. That, that could actually be a, a great game to revisit and... Uh, add that layer to yeah so this is my second is this entire genre of games where everybody is playing in the same kind of commons space trying to extract as much as they possibly can out of it without making it fall to pieces and another game in this in this kind of thing is is co2 um i think by vital Serta, uh where you're all businesses trying to make a ton of money on energy uh production without making oh. the planet fall apart Right. I think I might have played this once with you. I don't think you played it with me because I've only played okay. it once and uh, I didn't like it very much. But the reason I didn't like it was kind of the reason it existed. Uh, mm-hmm. The way it was built was if the planet died, then you all lose. Uh, and if it didn't, then the person who made the most money wins. And I'm one of those people who doesn't want everybody to lose even if mm-hmm. that means that I'm going to lose. And this is the kind of game where you want to do as little as possible to keep things alive. And so the person who's like, whatever, we can all lose, that's fine, uh, is likely going to win because they're not spending anything to keep everybody alive, which is kind of, I feel like, the point the designer was trying to get across, which is mm-hmm. a fun little point to get across, but didn't make a very good game, right? It's a game that you might play in a classroom to to teach some kids, but it's not necessarily going to be a lot of fun, right? And um, I think I think that's a lot of these these domain games. I mean, you know, Civ Six is releasing an expansion with um, Poundmaker, right? And mm-hmm. the uh, the Native American tribes that are kind of descendants of that group uh, are not very happy with being a part of this game, which is almost entirely about subjugating more and more land and more and more people and more and more resources over time. Cause it's like philosophically, mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense to them. Oh yeah. Uh, I have a, a rather too long blog post that I put together about the, the weird worldview baked into civilization. Like mm-hmm. if you really look at what you're doing as a player uh, and, and some, even his assumptions about like where progress comes from and yeah. how technology comes about, um, there, this kind of weird idealized thing that, um, if you just take that right back to the real world, it puts you in a weird space. Yeah, and, and, I, and I can, I, I, yeah, I'm both really excited about the expansion, and I <laughs> totally get that. The the issues. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff here that's about um, 
so I, I really like this genre of games, uh, specifically kind of a subgenre that I call, you know, ant farm games, where mm-hmm. you set up a couple of machines and then just watch them run because watching them run is fun, right? Mm-hmm. The settlers games, uh, not Catan, but like the computer games and that kind of thing. And I think that trying to find what part of management you actually want to emulate in in a in a game in a role playing game in a you know in a whatever is a really important part that I think a lot of these systems have kind of either not thought about or not thought all the way through like like Kingmaker Kingmaker I know they wanted you to be able to run the country but it didn't really feel like you were running a country it felt like you mm-hmm. were you were ticking a couple more boxes on the spreadsheet and then eventually you ticked up enough boxes that uh, you get a new special ability, like your country levels up, right? Mm-hmm. But your country, it didn't have to actually do anything. There wasn't any narrative to those things. It was, we've spent enough time ticking boxes. Like, that's that's basically it. The entirety of it. Yeah. yeah. And and sometimes Civ can feel like that too, right? I spent enough time waiting that uh, my city has built a granary, and now I can click another button and wait for it to build something else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think that's the place where RPGs can handle this more interestingly is when they um, they don't worry so much about uh, quantifying everything and instead try to create the um, kind of environment of that kind of play. They, they try to put you in the, the narrative that we remember of uh, historical events or the narrative that we tell of a fictional event as opposed to the nitty-gritty of actually doing a thing yeah like um, why does this domain exist for the purpose of of the narrative for the purpose of play for the purpose of of actually kind of experiencing this stuff and i can almost guarantee you it's not because somebody wants to to check a few more boxes right yeah uh and that's that's i think a, a theme that i have across all of my my later picks is doing doing things in ways that um get people interested uh, and resemble more the way we interpret the world around us as opposed to the way that we quantify the world around us. Totally. So speaking of later ones. Sure, sure. I'll go ahead and go to my third one, um, which is a game that doesn't have like an official and clear domain management element to it, but I think does it can actually do it excellently, uh, which is Burning Wheel. Um, so the, the one part that burning wheel falls down on is a domain management tends to then end up with fights of a lot of people, Mm -hmm. um, which is not something that burning wheel really has a a great take on. Um, but the, the great thing about burning wheel is that it's, um, systems for, uh, like relationships between people, negotiations between people and money all scale up in such a way that they still work at those levels while still being interesting and not getting bogged down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I talked before about, you know, if you're tracking individual gold coins, that doesn't work so well once you're up to, um, you know, a thousand gold coins is a tiny expenditure. Um, you're, you're starting, it's starting to get to be to like uh, managing your own finances. Right. Um, though I, I still don't think a thousand dollars would be a small expenditure, but anyway, like you're, you're getting to the point that you're having to do something more like work than like the thing that you want your character to be doing. Um, it, it 
you lose a layer of abstraction there yeah. where I'm used to being able to say things like, you know, my character attacks him and I don't have to figure out the physics of a sword. I can just kind of abstract a layer there. I don't have to figure out how to swing a sword. My character can do that. Um, and so Burning Wheel has a few systems here. So it has uh, the way you track money in Burning Wheel is um, basically with a dice pool. And when you buy something, you roll those dice and you look for successes. And if you're below it, your resources will be taxed and you can have, you know, temporary resources and you can have loans. And all of these systems are built to work at the level of, you know, one person trying to scrape by as an adventurer. Um, but they actually scale fairly seamlessly up to large scale finance with a, a fair degree of complexity. Um, and, that's really cool. I, I was uh, listening to a, or looking at a, a chat between some of the Burning Wheel um, HQ folks who are playing a game of Burning Wheel right now where they uh, did a resource check with, I think it was 50-some dice or something like that. Um, <laughs> yes, I remember seeing that. Uh, and it, it, yeah, like the, the fact that that scales up so seamlessly um, while still being interesting is uh, a really nice... Um, approach like I, I like that a lot and then your connections so like your ability to connect with people is uh, via um, circles which you similarly have a score in and you have like a uh, kind of set of types of people that you can find mm-hmm. um, and uh, th- with that um, you can like fine, you know, if you're trying to uh, hire a great artist for your kingdom or something, you can try to use circles to find them. Assuming that that's a thing that you might have in your circles, um, and again, that scales up really seamlessly from like doing it for a few people to doing it for you know your your kingdom trying to find a new military leader or whatever, okay. um, and. Uh, finally, the the system for um, uh, handling like debates and winning people over um, also scales up pretty well. It doesn't like quite do a um, like parliamentary discussion where you're trying to where there's a lot of different people talking. But as long as you can kind of boil it down to about two sides and have a debate about it, mm-hmm. it still works really well. Even when you've got um, like a a debate about the things that will be added to the constitution as opposed to a debate about who gets more treasure. Sure. Um, so yeah, like I, I think that, uh, it definitely lacks a little bit in handling like the, um, mass combat kind of element that can come up, but it does a wonderful job of everything else and it scales up really elegantly there. And it's character creation system is great for making a a variety of characters who can all hook into that. So you can have either, uh, since you build your characters out of backgrounds, if you choose to, everybody can kind of go with noble backgrounds and you can make your own noble court. Um, and it does the same thing that we're, that, uh, apocalypse world does so well, where one person is, um, kind of the, uh, the person in charge of, you know, the kingdom or whatever, but everybody else can be involved, Mm -hmm. um, which helps keep it from being a, let's all make decisions by committee. Um, because eventually one character has like the right to, to say what happens. Um, 
So yeah, Burning Wheel. Uh, and it, it crosses over a little bit with kind of that Game of Thrones genre of, uh, you know, your characters are going to believe things strongly and passionately and all that. Um, so I, I actually think that if I were to run a domain management game right now, I'd probably do it with Burning Wheel and just, uh, if there was a big fight, wing it. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, army army rules are not satisfying in any role playing game I've ever played. Because you know, actually, Burning Wheel might be better set up than I thought uh, because you could do a little bit more um, like Mouse Guard or Torchbearer that use similar conflict rules but have them more generalized uh, sure. for types of conflicts. So I could totally see just still doing a scripted conflict, and you know, your units are kind of weapons, and you can. You know, you script a charge or whatever for each person. Um, I think a whole bunch of units could still bog down. Like, now you can have about as many units as you can have players of Burning Wheel Flight without uh, bogging down. Um, but yeah, if I had to ha- hack it together on the fly, I'd basically pull, uh, pull out Mouse Guard, I think, and basically say, okay, we're, we're just going to use these rules that are close enough. You'd still um, do two sides, that kind of thing? the normal the normal burning wheel break it I, down into here are the two combat sides and the units get to move within them and that kind of stuff uh i guess that's kind of yeah that'd be a little iffy this is just bait though uh because yeah. i think i want to i'm going to segue straight into my large kind of conglomeration of games for for number 3 uh just basically any game that simulates command among multiple players. And so I've got stuff like Artemis, uh, the Mm. kind of Star Trek LARP and, uh, fields of fire and, uh, flight of the Eagle, the, the Creek spiel I'm running Pericles and Churchill, that kind of stuff. Cause all of these games take one of the more interesting pieces of domain management to me anyways, which Mm -hmm. is kind of this chain of command, who's in charge of what and how are they in charge of that and who's going to coordinate all of this kind of stuff and makes that the interesting part of the game, right? Um, Pericles is, is this game about the Peloponnesian war where the two sides are made up of, of two effectively allies, but not entirely like they want to get credit for the win, but -hmm. if they bicker amongst themselves too much, uh, kind of as, politically then they're not going to be able to get anything done on the main board so they have mm-hmm. to cooperate they just have to cooperate you know and take some uh, but the other the other three are much more interesting to me um kind of this fields of fire kriegspiel and artemis because the kriegspiel you very very much want somebody to tell you what to do um yeah because you, you're just so lost uh, everybody is is radio silence messages take four to eight hours to get anywhere and come back uh, you know nothing about the other side of the board. Uh, I've got three players who haven't seen anything happening yet in the in the current game, and there's a ton mm-hmm. of stuff going on, and they're all super nervous because they're like, should I be moving somewhere? I was told to go here and take this space, but I haven't heard anything. Like, what's going on? Um, and making that into the game is just such a cool... Uh, a cool feeling both for the person who's the captain, like being the captain in Artemis, even though you're not actually, you're not physically interacting with the game at all. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's one of the best things to play because it just feels so good saying, you know, 
let's chart a chorus for that star over there or whatever. Yeah, and, make and it, it so. And it still feels good being the non-captain because for whatever reason, it's nice to know that somebody is in charge. And mm-hmm. there's, there aren't too many role-playing games anymore where people will be like, oh yeah, this person is in charge of the group and they're going to kind of captain the group because that's just not the way that we play, right? Um, yeah. Fields of Fire has it easier. Fields of Fire is a solo World War II uh, tactical game, and it is insanely amazing. Uh, just kind of I, overwhelming, I guess. I've been wanting to play that uh, because solo games are always something that I'm super excited about, and I never get enough time to play. Uh, but everything I've heard about Fields of Fire has made me very interested. I, I, I. Hmm. It is a difficult one to pick up. So Fields of Fire's big thing is that it's uh, kind of this uh, very abstracted form of terrain and actual combat. Like, you're not moving around taking cover by finding a a tree on the hex map or whatever. Mm -hmm. You've got a... Here's a card, and this represents an entire, you know, acres of hills. And here's another card, and that's an entire town. And here's a card, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so you move your units around from one big area of terrain to another. And if you want to find cover, you have to roll to find cover, and then you put them under a little cover counter. But the bigger thing is that if you want to get orders to people in the field to actually allow them to do things, give them actions... Because, you know, solitaire game, you don't actually have to tell anybody you're the same person all the way over. But if you want to give somebody an action, they need connection to somebody in command. And so that needs to be, since this is World War II, but it's also, you know, there's a Korea and Vietnam, but I'm playing Normandy anyways. Uh, That means that you're carting telephone wire, which has its own counters, uh, and you have to lay, (laughs) lay wire all the way back, right? Or you need a line of sight radio connection, or you need mm-hmm. flares, or you need, you know, all of this, all of this stuff that simulates the difficulty of command in this kind of tactical situation, right? Uh, to the so point I'm curious, where the, yeah, the different ways that you can communicate, do they come with like caveats? Like, I feel like with flares, you shouldn't be able to give uh, certain types of orders because it, oh man. It, it, before the, game, before the game starts, you get a bunch of flares. So you get a you get a couple of these flares and a couple of those flares. You only have one of each, basically. And you assign mm-hmm. each one of them an order. There so we go. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, so it's not like I send up the red flare and that lets me give this person an action. No, no, no. Before the game starts, I assign take cover to all the star flares. And then if mm-hmm. I send somebody up and I don't end up having an initiative... And they they aren't able to take initiative because that's the one way that you can get yourself an action without getting command. Uh, and mm-hmm. when you send your first person into new territory, uh, basically they're just not going to be they're not going to be under command for a while, and you really want them to take cover. So you shoot them up, and then you roll for initiative actions, and then you either hope that you get one or you send up your flare saying, "Hey, by the way, remember to take cover," uh, <laughs> which is just crazy, right? Uh, yeah, it does feel a little bit like you should be able to give some kind of uh, programmed order before they leave, like go there and take cover. But I, I like the the gameplay mechanism of having to deal with uh, how hard it is to get orders there. Narrative wise, like the trade off there is you can you can basically split your teams up into small and smaller groups. 
Um, and so one way to do it is send your entire team. And then you can get command because mm -hmm. your team is there and he's got a radio and he can radio back. The other way, to, but that's really risky because if you walk up, you reveal this contact marker and that mm -hmm. the, who knows what's in that huge area, right? It could be minefield. It could be a sniper pointed at it or whatever. So that's, that's scary. So normally, normally you would, you would split off a smaller element of your group down to even, you know, a single person, a small fire team, some, some tiny thing, send it. And on the one hand, you can just be like, well, probably I'll get to get an, usually you'll get an initiative action. And if I've got an initiative action, then I can give it to anybody on the board, no matter whether they're in command or not. And that's, they walked in and then they're like, we should take cover. And then they take cover. <laughs> but uh, the narrative of it is they walk in and then they just freak out because they're getting shot at by a sniper and they forget all of their training. Uh, and I think that's the idea. <laughs> the idea. It's a horrible time when it happens. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. It, and then and then for radio and, and telephone, telephone's great because you don't need line of sight. Uh, but you do have to cut this wire all over the map. And then mm -hmm. if you've got straight radio, you better find a big tall hill, tall hill for your captain to be sitting on because otherwise he's not going to be able to contact anybody in the army group, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really yeah. crazy. Really, It's really interesting. It's really complex. It all makes sense. Uh, the rules aren't written extremely well, so it's kind of a pain, but there's a bunch of videos for, uh, for figuring it all out. Yeah, and this all, I mean, early on I talked about how um, – you know, turning Pathfinder into uh, a meeting to determine how to run the kingdom isn't great. But I think the important, like all of these are, are doing that exact thing where maybe you are just sitting around doing the business of running something. But I think the important thing is they're geared to do that. Oh, yeah. uh, like uh, the, my problem with doing it in Pathfinder is that like typically to get to that point, we've probably played for a while. Either that or we've spent a lot of time making characters of high enough levels to do this. And, most of the stuff on that character sheet doesn't interface a lot with what we now want to do. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, if we sit down and we all have, you know, maybe it's a board game that does this, or maybe it's Artemis, which is a, you know, computer based Star Trek bridge simulator. Um, you know, we, we immediately can play as the kind of character we want without a lot of overhead of other stuff. Yeah. It's um, just, it's really interesting how, so if you did a Pathfinder thing and you'd be like, Oh Yeah. Uh, Sarah's the queen and I'm going to be the treasurer and all this kind of stuff. And you figure out that kind of thing. People are still going to want to have equal weight in discussions because that's just how Pathfinder tends to get run in my experience. But if you sit down in Artemis, somebody sits down in front of the TV at the captain's chair and everybody else has their own little console. You're immediately not worried about getting equal weight. Like if the captain mm -hmm. says, Hey, scan that planet and let's, you know, go over there and take whatever. Oh yeah. We've got an incursion or, or somebody from comms is saying, yeah, there's these people are attacking the station over here. They're not telling the science officer or the weapons officer. They're telling the captain. And yeah. that's not even a discussion. Right. And if the captain says, all right, bring us about load torpedoes, all this kind of stuff, nobody questions, right? They just do it. And you can take a little bit of initiative because you're expected to take some initiative, but nobody's going to think they need to be arguing with the captain. Uh, mm -hmm. At least none of the people that I would want to play games with. 
Yeah, and there's also the interesting opportunity. You know, if it weren't for the fact that Artemis is kind of a pain to set up, and you've probably like blocked out a lot of time, and you just want to play the game, mm -hmm. there's the setup for Artemis where you play Artemis, but you uh, layer on a bit more role playing to it, and you know maybe there is a mutiny. Like maybe somebody <laughs> does question the captain. Uh, like that's the thing uh, when when you pitched uh, so a while ago. Um, exile, yeah. Yeah, you had uh, an idea called Exile, which is you know a, a colony ship sailing through space, and one of you, you've pitched a few different games out of this, but the one that really caught me was a uh, kind of like a parlor LARP of the ruling council of this ship, basically um, styled a little bit after uh, games like The Inheritance, where there are some very specific um, roles that people are playing. And there's an agenda of things they need to decide, and they're all uh, at odds with various other people on various issues, and uh, there's politicking and uh, backstabbing and all this. And that, that sounds great. I don't want to, like, that's a great thing to have in a game. Uh, I think it's just, you know, setting up the game for it. Like, Inheritance, your character sheet is mostly just background on your character, and for a few characters, a little bit of information about how certain rules work. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you didn't roll up a whole bunch of stats to then stand there and debate who gets grandfather's farm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I really like this as your last choice because I, I stuck with RPGs, but they these types of games are some of my absolute favorites, especially when they involve uh, a group of people and get them all into that role, um, like Artemis or um, actually I'm trying to think of other games. I mean, there are some board games that do this. Uh, <laughs> yes, what is it? Uh, Space Cadets. Uh huh. Space Cadets feels a little bit like this, but it tries to keep everybody on a pretty even keel. Um, there's Dice Duel. Uh, mm -hmm. where you, if you're playing with enough people, which you really should be, like eight, eight total, uh, you can have a captain along with the engineer and the weapons officer and the sensors officer and all this kind of stuff. Um, like, the, to be perfectly honest, the big reason why I have so many uh, kind of non-RPGs on my list is that the domain management style role-playing games that I own, I mm -hmm. haven't played enough of because mm -hmm. of them... I would just rather play, you know, one of these things or they're really, really hard to set up like mm -hmm. uh, either they're super long or they have a crazy, uh, a, a really kind of difficult player count to set up together or their rules are really weird. And so teaching them are kind of painful or they're just too much, too much numbers and stats. And I just I don't want to play a game about numbers and stats if I have to do it all by pencil. Yeah, and I think that there may be something there about how long the these games kind of stay there welcome. I mean, you talked about your, your Pathfinder Kingmaker game. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's just, uh, I think, an element of, of how long you want to do something like that. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, sitting down with your friends for a little while and having that power dynamic of somebody giving orders and maybe somebody else questioning the orders and all that is, is fun for a time. But... I kind of agree that, like, I, I want that to be a somewhat contained experience. Um, yeah. And I really do think that the game works better with that power dynamic. I mean, I guess Apocalypse World, I've played games with a hard holder for quite a while. But that's a little, it's a little less likely that everybody's involved in the domain management. Like, everybody's affected by it, but not everybody's sure. involved in it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I think you're onto something there that uh, I, I deliberately picked games that. Um, I like playing anyway, and the fact that you do domain management is kind of like a fun mode of play, uh, but 
I agree. If I if I really just want to mess with with running uh, something like running a, a organization or a political uh, domain or whatever, um, in some ways I'd rather just do a uh, a board game. Though th- another game that does this well that I I actually didn't pick because I thought you might um, Blades, Blades of Dark, Dark is actually kind yeah. of a domain management game once you. <laughs> get your game going a little bit. I, I didn't um, pick it because I assumed you would be picking it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do overlap so much that it's understandable. But no, um, I, I didn't pick it because I, uh, I think no matter what, it wouldn't have been in my top three, but I figured you would pick it. So I kind of figured, Oh, I don't need to as well. Um, I mean, I stand by my top three. It doesn't, yeah, I didn't kick it out to make room for, for you choosing it. Um, but it's very close. Uh, it, it's the next runner up. I think for me, the, um, just the kind of domain running that it is, is mm-hmm. slightly less interesting. Like, uh, the, the criminal gang thing is not my favorite necessarily. Uh, like it's not a genre that immediately excites me. Um, but there are so many hacks of the game that take it in directions that I am more excited about. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be, that would be the, the really interesting thing is, is trying to find, because so to be perfectly honest about blades, I like I like that it has a central unit that every all the players are organized around, right? Mm-hmm. I, I do not mind that there is a crew and everybody is part of the crew, but I think that the crew management stuff is some of the least interesting parts of that game. Yeah. Um, because it feels it feels like that Kingmaker game to me. And maybe that's just because I haven't figured out how to run it very well yet. But you end up with these situations where, oh, well, you know, I've checked off enough boxes. And so now, now we're better. And I check off this box and I increment this thing. And those things seem pretty divorced from the, the day-to-day play of, okay, what's the score? And then how are we going to do it? And then we're going to run through that. And then we've got the downtime and, you know, here's the aftermath of what happened. And that does all of this stuff. Oh, and by the way, uh, you check off two more boxes on your crew. And I, I think that I haven't just, I just haven't figured out how, how to make that as visible as I want. Um, mm-hmm. Cause it just, I, you know, you know, I think that is like a, a tension there. Um, mm-hmm. I've always felt like the, the, crew advancement is um an important loop for for shifting the context of scores Mm -hmm. um like that it 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 puts those things into a context that otherwise they might not have Um, oh yeah otherwise blades could really easily be a game of like oh we've done this score we're set for life uh i guess it's kind of done now um and i mean most of your scores aren't like the the one big score but it the the status of your crew is really the part of the game that drives the game forward i think yeah um and there's uh oh i'm gonna forget the name of it um there's a hack i think it's by strash that's um based on um like the black company and there you each there is like a player council like you are the leading council it's like Band of Blades, right? Band of Blades. Yeah. Yes, Band of Blades. And that does bring in some of the elements we've been talking about where everybody has like assigned roles in the hierarchy mm-hmm. and they are responsible for certain parts of like provisions or uh, training or whatever. Um, and, yeah, it, and 
that I, I bridges some of that gap there. I understand why it's there, right? Mechanically, yeah. design-wise, absolutely essential. But I think a lot of it comes back to my general problem with domain management in in board games and pen and paper games, which is that a lot of that kind of stuff just doesn't make for good narrative. Like, sure, you know, you you read about the 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 decline and fall of the Roman empire. And it's the stuff that's interesting is the individual personal stories kind of interweaved through that collapse. Mm -hmm. The interesting part is not, and there was a famine. The interesting Mm -hmm. part is not, and they took Britain and they lost Britain and they, you know, put down the Gallic rebellion. It's like, you know, that sentence isn't interesting. The individual, you know, small stories of Vercingetorix and 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 the counter rebellion and the Druids. Those are the interesting parts. And as soon as you zoom out to looking at the Empire and you know changes in the Empire, it just becomes it becomes less of a story, which is you know the thing I like about playing games in general, and more mm-hmm. of and then this happened and then this happened, which with less causal stuff kind of driving it forward, I guess. Yeah. I think, um, the interesting spot for me is is taking those major trends and then looking at how people react to them. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, often with histories, we, we like the way the leader reacted to that is, you know, one sentence about, you know, supposedly when he found out he was so mad that he, uh, spilled all the wine in the court or whatever, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, some, totally. some little anecdote. Um, and I think it's interesting that in role-playing games, we can expand that out some. Um, and it, that's the point where for me, the role-playing game is maybe more interesting than a board game that can do the same thing is, uh, that I can role-play it. Like <laughs> that the obvious distinction of, um, you know, <laughs> when something goes wrong, uh, and, you know, my domain is in collapse. It's not just a interesting board game state. It's something that I can then, you know, if I'm the, uh, Lord of the empire and I'm seeing what my family has ruled for however many hundred years collapsing, uh, that's a very different thing. Um, and actually it would be really interesting. Now that I think about it to take domain management and, um, take it out of kind of the, um, medieval board game, genre that we're we're somewhat based in because that's where D came from mm-hmm. uh, i've been watching the the netflix series the crown recently and it would actually be interesting uh to do domain management more in that style and like a, a modern constitutional monarchy um so you know not only is it uh deciding um matters of political affairs between countries but also like uh, a news organization that's scandalizing everything you do and uh the uh role of your increasingly irrelevant monarchy within this constitutional government yeah there's there's lots of opportunities there to take the premise and just twist it a little bit and amp up those opportunities for role-playing uh probably a little less interesting in the kind of the board game sense but uh i i can i would totally play the crown the rpg oh man well have i got a couple games for you then um <laughs> so so i just ordered a trilogy of games of solitaire games from white dog uh i'm mm-hmm. trying to get 
more varied publishers in my in my game stuff. Uh, Mrs. Thatcher's War. I, I mean this with love, but you're one of the few people who has a board game collection where you get to uh, think about that part of. It's very important. Well, I had somebody come over and and ask if GMT was, was my favorite designer, and I was uh, a little sad about that entire thing. So I'm trying to trying to branch. But but so these these three games by a guy named uh, Ben Madison, who I think is a political scientist. They are solitaire games about the American Revolution, the Napoleonic Wars, and the Falklands. Um, mm-hmm. So the Napoleonic Wars one is the one I'm most interested in. I've got my own game on the subject. That is, you are the British dealing with the kind of this aftermath of the French Revolution and, the, and Napoleon, just trying to hold him hold him to, to not taking entirety of Europe and invading Britain and all that kind of stuff. But so... Mm-hmm. Unlike a lot of games on the subject, it's not there. There's a counter in there for for composers. There's a counter for uh, Napoleon's wife. There's a counter for um, just all sorts of stuff that doesn't tend to get covered in these games. Uh, something that I didn't realize until really recently when I was trying to figure out you know, some kind of. Uh, a piece of a piece of how everybody got funded during these wars. The Louisiana Purchase was the U.S. went to Napoleon with a bunch of money and said, "Hey, we'd like to buy this little bit of land near the Mississippi." And Napoleon needed a bunch of money to fight his wars, and so he's like, "How about you just take the entire thing? Whatever. I just need more money for that." And if if Napoleon didn't, and you know also because he lost Haiti. And so he felt like it was basically a lost cause anyways. But from his perspective in Europe, he's like, here are my problems. My problems are all over here and I need a lot of money to deal with it. And you just happen to show up with millions of gold pieces. I will take your millions of gold pieces, as many as you possibly can give me. Uh, Whatever you want over there, I don't care about it anymore because my problems are here right now. And... Mm -hmm. Games that just deal with, you know, uh, playing the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, there's a there's a GMT card driven game called Napoleonic Wars, and it really bothered me to play it because in a fight, it was just roll a bunch of dice, and then a bunch of people on both sides would die, and you would have no idea about the tactical situation or the weather or, you know, who showed up at the right time and. Oh, they just, they, they could have escaped, but they didn't. Somebody was sitting there and had a good plan. Like nothing, there's no narrative to the individual fights there. Mm. And I think that even if you did have narrative there, there's not the narrative that is if the U S hadn't come at that moment, wanting to buy just a little bit more land, if they hadn't had a, a bunch of money, because of something else that was going on. Like the Napoleonic Wars would be 10 years shorter. Uh, <laughs> if, if this siege that I'm simulating upstairs had gone slightly differently, uh, Napoleon was heavily wounded in that siege and he could have died. And if he had died, all of the 1900s would be completely different. The 1800s would be completely different. Like just these little tiny turning points. And I feel like, a lot of domain management games tend to not have kind of this uh, chaos butterfly, you know, effect Mm -hmm. 
where, you know, we're, uh, and Blades, I guess, does this pretty well because, you know, with the one way or another, you could roll the wrong way and make a faction upset at you enough to go to war, which suddenly just changes the entire game. But I think that that's the thing that I really want out of these kind of games. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I, I don't think there's a lot of games that are um, delivering on that, really. Oh, man. Too many things that I need to go play. <laughs> That's always the problem, right? It is always yeah, doing, the problem. Doing uh, this podcast means that we, we just end up with more games we want to play. And then the other game that was on my list that I didn't bring up, uh, Fief, France 1429, which is this mm-hmm. really old school, uh, random event heavy war game where you are running an, a royal family, basically, um, in in you know old school France. And there's a pope, and you can elect them. And there's cardinals, and there's a king, and there's princes and princesses. And you can marry off your daughter, and you can marry yourself, and which is the only real way to get an alliance. And then you can murder your husband in cold blood so that you can get out of that alliance, because otherwise it's going to be really difficult for you. Uh, nice. And it's a wonderful domain management game and a terrible kind of game because <laughs> you're just not in control of anything. Like it could go, it could go all sorts of different ways. And I think if you surrender to the narrative of it, it's amazing. And if you don't, it's horrendous, uh, which mm-hmm. is another, you know, difficult part about these things. Well, oh, cool. Do you have any, think... Yeah. Do you have any other games that you want to talk about or are we going to have to close out? I think we're we're gonna have to close out. Uh, I think we've covered my highlights. Um, in some ways, this was a thinner field for me of games that do domain management that I actually like. Uh, yeah. there, there were a lot that I have much more mixed feelings about. Um, yeah, definitely. Or or even have interesting things to say about. Uh, I guess I've I've covered plenty of games here that I don't necessarily like, but I appreciate in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, but th- yeah, there there are a lot of domain management games that that just end up being so straightforward that I don't have a lot of interesting things to say about them. Yeah, I think I think a lot of them take... There are a couple of tropes in domain management, right? And it's just mm-hmm. really easy to kind of cover, well, we are going to level up these particular things, and then now you're big enough and you have this thing. And coming up with a good story about those changes is really difficult because... Because it is like you know, like we've like we've been talking about. So, yep, coolness. Okay, so well, I think that's. With, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Let's let's wrap up. That's it for our thirty-first question. What are your favorite domain management games? Another question is Adam Blinkensop and Sage Latour. You can find us on Twitter at AQ Podcast or by searching for another question on Google Plus or Facebook. Our website, anotherquestion.com, has all our old episodes plus links to all the games. Maybe we mentioned in each episode and other bonus material. Thanks for listening.